Delaware County's premier podcast with your hosts, Dennis and Michelle. Hello, everyone, and welcome to This Week in the Bear Cave. I'm Dennis Zarrell, and this week we are sponsored by Abode Real Estate, your professional real estate advisors in Colorado Springs and Teller County, the historic Butte Theater in Cripple Creek, Colorado, bringing you the best productions in the United States, and Peak Washing, LLC, the pressure washing professionals for that dirty job. Well, it's the end of January already, and of course, we're still experiencing all this nice balmy weather we've been enjoying, so I decided to take my own advice this week and took a meeting up in Cripple Creek and took some time off from the Bear Cave, and I'm glad that I did. The drive here in Taylor County, it never disappoints, and even with the delay in traffic on 67 because of a a herd of bighorn sheep that uh, decided to take a break in the middle of the road, and uh, I kind of sat there and watched all this stuff, and it's like, wow, this is really awesome. Until some impatient human being decided to lay on their horn, and of course, had an out-of-state license plates on their 4x4. It could have been a state from just south of us, but anyway, I decided not to let that ruin the moment and just kind of let it slide. I'm not really patting myself on the back, but I am kind of proud of doing that without uh, giving him that look. But needless to say, it was a beautiful drive, and I, for one, hope that I never, ever get tired of it. It's, It's good for the soul, you know? But it kind of got me to thinking a little bit, and that is that oftentimes we take for granted the area that we live in, and we tend to get wrapped up in minor things, and that in the long run, that stuff really doesn't matter. So here's the challenge to you from the Bear Cave. Get out of the house, turn off the television, put that bottle down or whatever you have in your hand, put on those warmies, get out of your house, call someone, take a drive. It doesn't really matter, but enjoy these amazing mountains. Just because. You don't need a reason, right? Anyway, enough of that uh, preaching and touchy-feely stuff. It's just uh, it was a good day. I just kind of want to share with the Cubs out there. But today, we have another good show planned for you. And initially, Mark Gregory was scheduled to come into the Bear Cave, but he had a last-minute scheduling conflict, and uh, we get it. It's life. It's always in session, right? But uh, no worries. Things happen. But as they say, the show must go on. And not to be deterred, we made a phone call out to Florida some Fire Rescue and talked to Chief Eric Holt to see what he's been up to. And lo and behold, he answers the call like every firefighter in this community does. And he's coming on to the Bear Cave Hotline today. So he's going to give us kind of a year-end review on how the department is coming along. So thanks in advance for you coming in on short notice. Really appreciate that. Now, next week, we're going to be dark in the bear cave because we have some client projects going on, some reels to produce, things of that nature. So we'll be back February 14th, and our guest will be our title sponsor, Josh Dorsey from Abode Real Estate. And he's going to talk to us a little bit about the latest real estate status in Teller County and Colorado Springs, because if you've uh, been watching the news or following you know, the reports that uh, we could be heading into a recession, in my opinion, I think we're already there. But he's going to talk to us a little bit, and, uh, and along with that, we are working on a show right now that's going to happen in March, and that's going to involve Josh and our current Teller County Assessor Carol Kittleson. I think what we're going to do is we're kind of going to have a roundtable discussion about real estate, upcoming property taxes, all those kinds of things that affect us here in Teller County. And for the record, I want to say right now, Carol does not endorse any real estate agents, company, and or people. We are simply getting together with some professionals to discuss issues that affect us in relation to real estate, property, and you know things of that nature. So we'll keep you updated as we get closer to that. But suffice it to say, it should be a very interesting and informative show. I'm looking forward to that. Then on February 21st, it's our friend, Director of Marketing from the Rocky Mountain Vibes, Kay Goodell, coming, wait for it, into the barricade for the first time. We're excited about that. 
And she has a few things to talk about for the upcoming 2023 season. But as you all know by now, it is always baseball time here in the Bear Cave. So we're really happy to have her coming in. Sounds like there's all kinds of stuff going on with the vibes this season. And uh, I'll let her talk about that. But uh, I know they've been super busy this offseason. And we're really looking forward to having her coming in on the show. And rounding out the month of February, it's Michael Lindsay from the Gold Camp Association coming in to talk about that organization and what they do for the community in Cripple Creek. He's going to discuss some of the things that they are involved in and what's coming up this year. So it's shaping up to be another busy month here in the Bear Cave in February. Well, it has finally happened. Actor and gunslinger Alec Baldwin and armor Hannah Gutierrez-Reed have been charged with involuntary manslaughter for the fatal shooting of cinematographer Helena Hutchins. And of course, it's been all over the news because that incident happened on the set of Rust in 2021 in New Mexico. Horrible incident that happened. But District Attorney Mary Carmack Althwise, she finally filed the charges after months of sorting through a bunch of evidence she had that Baldwin had displayed criminal disregard for safety when the revolver he was rehearsing with fired a live round that killed Hutchins. By now, everybody's heard this story. We've been kind of talking about it off and on for the last couple of years. Now, although Baldwin apologized, and uh, I'm, I don't know if everybody saw the interviews or not that he did with George Stephanopoulos, they were doing all kinds of damage control. To this day, he has completely denied any kind of responsibility, but instead has blamed everyone else on the set and even went as far as claiming that the gun fired by itself. Remember that one? I think we talked about that a little bit. At this point, we all know is impossible because of the nature of the gun itself. It's a revolver and it takes some kind of action from the person that's using that revolver to make it fire around. So, in my opinion, he was clearly trying to cover his backside. And in other words, you just aren't being truthful there, Alec. It almost sounds like he's been getting counsel from, uh, I don't know, Representative Nokio Santos, maybe? Yeah, that's a pair for you, right? And of course, after the announcement was made that he was being charged, the Screen Actors Guild jumped right in there. And they're coming to his aid and they're saying that it really isn't an actor's responsibility to check and see if a weapon is safe on the set. Yeah. To which I reply, bold. Now, I'm coming from a place of some knowledge because I've worked as an armor on several feature films back in the day. And I can tell you that every actor, director, assistant director, and everybody who was on that set, they all attended mandatory weapon safety meetings before we even began a single shot for the day, especially if weapons were being used. Had a safety meeting every day. We discussed procedures, we discussed handling, um, all those kinds of things. And just about every single actor I've worked with either asked me if the weapon was safe. And in some cases, they wanted to see inside the chamber, which I was happy to show them. And the sets that I worked on, the weapon was always empty. It was always empty. It was never loaded until they were actually ready to shoot the scene. And even before we shot the scene, the entire crew was notified that there will be gunfire at least three times. So it's like, okay, there'll be gunfire. You know, you you get the idea, right? And it even goes beyond that because before the actual filming began, all actors, they attended a class in proper handling of the prop weapons that they were going to use and the safety procedures and all that kind of stuff. Uh, Sometimes we'd even do assembly, disassembly of the weapons just to give them some of that extra training. Kind of depends on the time. But we would then go do a live fire with blanks. We do that kind of an exercise to make sure that they knew exactly what they were doing and what was expected of them on set. And according to several people on the set of Rust, this never happened. And allegedly that Baldwin had an arrogant attitude towards any kind of training. So he poked the bear. That's basically what he did. And you can blame anybody you want, but your name is on that film as the executive producer. 
That's the boss. That's why it's, well, it's one of the bosses. There's no way of getting around that. But I think the most damaging evidence against Baldwin is that the forensics test conducted by the FBI found out that the revolver was functioning normally and it would not fire unless the trigger was pulled. I remember when he was saying, well, the gun just went off by itself. Uh Uh-uh, doesn't happen that way. So as a result, Baldwin and Gutierrez-Reed are now facing some serious charges, which can carry up to five years in jail. That's five years for stupidity, five years for negligence, five years for arrogance, and five years for hiring unqualified people because the armor on that set had no business being there or, you know, I, I don't know the full story. I can't really condemn her because I wasn't there on the set. But the question still remains, at least in my mind, is how a live round was left in the revolver. And according to the armor Gutierrez Reed, she loaded dummy rounds before handing it to the first assistant director, Dave Halls, who incidentally, he signed a plea agreement with prosecutors for a misdemeanor charge. And this isn't the first incident, allegedly, that Dave Hall, Dave Halls, I think it's Dave Halls, has had on sets. Anyway, he was the guy who called out cold gun and said as much to Baldwin, which essentially meant that the gun was unloaded, not unsafe because there is no safety on the revolver uh, per se, unless it's maybe in half cock position or something like that. And, and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm preaching to the choir here, but man, what a cluster. But honestly, and I don't think this is going to happen in Baldwin's case, is that uh, I hope they spend some time in the hole. I can't think of any more deserving couple to do that. But uh, anyway, it's a sad situation because someone got killed because of negligence and speed and just not paying attention altogether. And that's what arrogance does. Now, the last story I want to talk about while I'm standing here on my soapbox is coming right here from our own beloved Cripple Creek. Now, we know that there's been a recent recall election in Cripple Creek, right? And we talked about that to death. And in my opinion, it was a complete waste of time, but it doesn't matter what I think. I don't live in that community. What the hell do I know anyway? Well, the ballots went out and what occurred next should really get your attention if you are a registered voter. My understanding is that there were over 700 ballots that were sent out to registered voters in Cripple Creek. Guess how many ballots were cast? You won't believe it. Try 174. 174 out of 700 came back. Seriously, Cripple Creek? What the hell? You know what this tells me? It tells me, I don't know, three things. A, you can't read. B, you just simply ignore it. Or C, you just don't give up. This has got to be one of the sorriest election returns I have ever heard of in my entire life. So now there are two new city council members sitting on the dais. Well, some of them are not so new. You know, Bruce Brown is back in the mix once again. He's been there off and on for over a decade. So yeah, welcome back to him, I guess. But the point being is unless you get involved in your city and you have a voice in the process, then you're just blindly following along and just not caring. You're just living fat and happy, you know, just uh, breathing air. So to those of you registered voters who ignored the process and having a say in the direction in which your city is going to go in the future, don't complain when things don't go your way. You gave up that right when you threw that ballot in the trash can and forgot about it or whatever the case may be. You should be ashamed of yourself, registered voters of Cripple Creek. You know, usually 30% of ballots that are returned, that's kind of less than average, but uh, 174 out of over 700? Really? Are you kidding me right now? No way! All that shows me is that you really don't care who or what is in charge of your city. But the good news is, is that there are some people who are actually caring about what happens and who are involved in making things better for the rest of you slackers. 
And I'm guessing that they are probably the same people who hold things together, and they're the ones who are always in the forefront. And you'll probably see them out there as volunteers for the upcoming ice festival. You all know who they are. But damn, you're your own worst enemy. I can't even believe that I'm talking about this anymore. I thought I was over it, but frankly, I'm shocked by the poor participation. Anyway, Cripple Creek, we still love you, and especially those 174 people who actually gave a damn. I don't know. Who knows? Well, one thing that I do know, and that is that when we come back, we'll be talking to Chief Eric Holt from Florissant Fire Rescue and find out how things are going out there on the western front of Teller County. So stick around. You know, moving can be stressful. I know. I've moved 13 times in 20 years and I've lived in four different states. When it finally came time to move back to Colorado, Woodland Park and Teller County were our target locations. But before I moved back home, I was looking for a real estate broker who understood and had experience with military families and knew the area well. I found Abode Real Estate and Joshua Dorsey. I called Josh right away and it only took 35 days to not only find our forever home, but to close and move into it. Josh understood exactly what we were looking for because he's a common sense person and knows a good deal from a bad one. He'll make every effort to make sure you get the home that you absolutely want and love. As your real estate advisor, Josh will focus on client satisfaction. His business is about service and he's not happy until you're happy. Whether it's finding you a home, finding the best loan, or helping you get the most out of selling your home, Josh is there to guide you. So if you're considering a real estate professional, give Josh a call today at 719-433-4773 or email him at joshua at csabode.com. That's J-O-S-H-U-A at C-S-A-B-O-D-E.com. I'm confident that you will be completely satisfied. Cave. I'm your host, Dennis Zerl, and our guest this week is no stranger to the Bear Cave, and he's on the Bear Cave hotline right now. It's Fluorescent Fire Rescue Chief Eric Holt. Eric, welcome back into the Bear Cave. Hey, hey thanks for having me back, Dennis. Appreciate you. Always. Hey, you guys got a bunch of stuff going on, and uh, kind of what I want to talk about is uh, kind of a year-end review, just kind of wrap up things that are going on, because uh, I think the last time we talked, we were talking about some training things that are happening, and I'm just going to kind of let you take it away. What's what's uh, been happening out there on the Western Front? Well, yeah, we've, we've got a lot going on. Um, you know, we went through the like a three-month budget process. We're past that new year, and it's time to put it to you. So 2022, year in review of our stats and data um, that I pulled out, and um, I'm impressed by it. Uh, so most important metric that I always look at is our response times. And we have basically, it's cut in half. So we have the fluorescent fire station right there on Highway 24, and then we have the CME station down on North Mountain States Road as you enter CME. Um, so that's how we break down our, our zones for our reporting. But uh, I got here April 2nd as the interim. I'm sure everybody listening knows and has read and seen. Yep. And so quarter one, um, the response times out of the fluorescent station, which is basically County Road 42 and CR1 North, all the way up to National Forest, was 18 minutes per call. And CME station was 13 minutes per call. Um, and then 
I started basically right at the beginning, a day after. Uh, as interim, in quarter two, we saw uh, it go down to 15 minutes and 10 minutes. And then uh, happy to report, we ended the year in quarter four at 12 minutes response time in fluorescent station and right at 10 minutes in CME. Wow. So we've had, you know, six minute improvement in the fluorescent station and about three minutes in the CME station in the south. So that's amazing. We're getting first responders to people that need it much quicker. When you see these kind of metrics and this data, how do you get the response time down? Is that going through training? Is it going through rehearsal? I mean, kind of kind of lay that out for me. Help us understand how that all works. Yeah, so when I came in, you know, I, I wasn't supposed to be around for very long. It was supposed to be, you know, a couple of weeks, this and that. So I felt like the best thing I could do with my time is assess this department, assess all of the data I could get and extract out of our reporting system. And so doing that, we were able to move vehicles around and our, our medical response vehicles, we call them squad, sending those with first responders to their house so they can respond straight from there, our senior guys. Were they driving to the, to the station and then responding from there before? Yeah, I mean, there's different factors, right? I live right on the edge of of our district on the east side. So I'm responding from home. When I first took over, the other squad was in Arabian Acres and would respond from there. So now that they're in district, one of our squads is on the very south end with one of our captains and he responds straight from home. I do the same. And then uh, we put the other one up in Indian Creek. So all of those things help us get there faster. And then a lot of the big things I did last year was, you know, we spent 15 grand right after I got hired permanently on medical bags. So all of our EMTs that are, are certified as an EMT, um, have them in their personal vehicles or at home. So if they're the closest to the incident, they can go straight to the incident from their house. And so in January, um, compared to last January, I pulled those. You want me to go over those real quick? Sure. Yeah, because because to me, you know, everything that you're saying is what we call a no-brainer. <laughs> I'm just saying. You'd think, right? Like, uh, we want to help people. That's kind of why we exist. I mean, we live in a very rural area. It's like, why would I go all the way to the station and grab my bag and my aid bag and everything else and then go to the site? doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what the barriers were before um, or the decisions. It may have been in the pipeline. You know, it just was a priority to me. Right. But last January uh, was 15 minutes and 12 minutes in those, in those station zones. And compared to this year, we're down to seven minutes and six minutes. Holy smokes. So I hand it to our guys and gals that are volunteering. They put some pep in their step and they're getting there and we're helping people. They got to be pretty stoked about that, right? I mean, that's a lot of minutes that you shaved off response time. Yeah. I mean, we have them really 14 and 12 down to seven and six. So wow. I'm proud of that. But I give that to our volunteers that are getting out of their homes, getting on scene quick, you know? Yeah, they're doing it. A little pep in the step. Um, so I was really, really proud to go over those the other night in the board meeting. Again, that's my most important metric that I, I just obsess over because we can't do anything else until we get there to the people that need us, right. you know? Incident hours total for the department uh, that doesn't include training, time at the station, anything like that. On emergency incidents, fluorescent fire rescue gave 1,611 hours to the community responding to emergencies. Wow. So that's a big, you know, pat on their backs too. 1,600 hours. Yeah, anybody that was on the roll last year during 2022, whether they were gone before I got here or left after, whatever, all of it gets totaled up in this report. And that's what it comes out to, 1,611 hours responding to emergencies. That's no joke. Yeah, it's great. Another great metric. Like they're really serving the community and I'm proud of them for that. Absolutely. When you think about those kinds of numbers, it kind of boggles the mind because number one, Florissant is so spread out. You got to have a serious game plan in place, number one, but then you would never guess that 
there would be that much time spent on incidences. And you know what I'm saying? It seems really high. Yeah, well, we, we average 3.2 responders per incident. Um, obviously, major incidents get more, but you balance them out. And at the end of the year, 3.2 per incident. And the average incident is at a minimum an hour when you factor in response times, get back to the station, all that stuff. Yeah, that makes sense. Most of them go over an hour. So, and then you have major instances like the High Park Fire where we're out there for days, you know, on the clock. So yeah. it, it just depends on the year and the incident. But when I saw that number, I was real happy. Yeah, now you lay it out there, it all makes sense. Well, that's the goal. That's why I share these numbers and brag on the, the volunteers here that are doing it, you know. We ran a total of 466 emergency incidents last year. Wow. Is that 911 calls? Yeah. So we have to filter out like our burn permit activations and things like that that aren't emergencies. Right. That 466 is what we were dispatched and responded on. Wow. And then uh, I I always have done this because I had that big push to hire part-time captains. Um, we had 93 overlapping incidents, which was 20% of our calls. It's actually 19.96, but you know that was a big commitment of $60,000 in the budget to, to make sure that we could do this and hire part-time captains. But what it gives us is six nights a week, we have a captain and myself in district where we can handle this 93 calls that overlapped each other. You know, right. So smarter way to do business. I'm proud we got it done and proud to report all three have been hired or, and are working their shift overnight. So to have that does help me focus on some of the bigger projects that need to get done, policy writing and all those things. Yeah. All that administrative stuff that fire chiefs are supposed to do. Yeah. There's a lot to be done for sure, but I'm just so thrilled we have them on and uh, we have three divisions now in EMS operations and training. Each captain runs one of those um, and we're just building. You talk about training. You've got another one or two certified firefighters that just, I guess they graduated from the course. Bring us up to speed on what's going on with personnel. Yeah. So I have 5X our training budget in the budget process. So another big commitment in a small budget, but that's something very important to me. I can give you any tool in the world if you don't know how to use it and why to use it that way. It makes no difference, right? right. Uh, so we, we put a bunch of money in the, in the pool for training. One, our captain just graduated Fire One that was hosted by Cripple Creek. Shout out to Crip Creek. Thank you guys for that. They're going to do another one this year. I think it was probably 10 or so um, within the different protection districts that they hosted and, and certified through the state. Wow. Congratulations. So now Teller County has, you know, 10 more firefighters. And for anyone listening out there, you have to be Fire One certified, Firefighter One, to be able to go interior on any house that's on fire. Not much we can do from the outside. You know what I mean? Right. So that's a big deal. When I got to Fluorescent, there was not one Fire One certified current. Uh, so how do we go in and make a rescue if your house is on fire? How do we get you out? Wait. You know? wait, wait a minute, Time, back up again. So there was not a single firefighter who was either certified or currently certified. That's what you're telling me. There's wildland and there's structural. So this is structure stuff, okay. just to be clear. Gotcha. The roster that I got and the people that I that were on board when I got here, there was no active firefighter ones on the structural side uh, certifications. Wow. In our training in, in-house, teaching aggressive, safe tactics. Because when we get there, it's time. It's not time to learn. You know, we got to have that knowledge already. Right. And uh, I'm, I'm very proud of this department. They have absorbed so much in such a short time with all the chaos and adjusted. We had two major incidents. I, I bet it was two months ago now on a weekend. But we had uh, a flight ambulance coming in, landing at the station. We got toned for a hit and run, auto ped, County Road 3. And I was so proud to watch that transition transition and both scenes get handled flawlessly. Um, everybody got what they needed in a timely manner. And that was a long sort of progress, you know, right. but to see it come to fruition was just amazing. Everybody adjusted it on the fly. Nobody, you know, buckled under the stress or nothing. So it was really awesome. Well, you know, there's all this negative press that I see flying around from time to time. And, you know, we don't want to rehash all that kind of stuff that's going on, but you take it all in strike. Cause if you're a public official or if you're a public servant of some kind, you're not going to please everybody. Right. Like I get that. 
but you guys have made some marked improvement, and it sounds like everybody has pulled together and just uh, kicking ass, frankly. Yeah, I would have to agree with you. Um, you know, you'd have to interview each person one by one, but uh, I definitely think all of our data and our metrics that we grade ourselves on are improved. You know, in, in a short time, I was hired September 28th. That's when I really actually had some authority to change things. Right. I was always very cautious beforehand. So when I go through, I, I'm the first one to look at it because I hold myself to a very high standard. Um, to see quarter four as our best quarter and continue into 2023 improving, what more do you need to, to feel confident that your small rural department's growing professionally, you know? Yeah. Now, earlier we were talking about, before we came on the air, uh, you've got some EMTs that are currently being trained. So that's going to beef up that side of the house as well. Yeah. We always maintained that number though, because we were recruiting, but we got two this week and a possible third that just finished EMT class. One of them, she just passed the NREMT test yesterday. We've got two that, again, paid for through the department's budget allocated for training going through EMT right now up at Uprad uh, through UC Health. So they'll be done in May. And we just want to keep that the washing machine tumbling, basically. Yeah. Keep getting higher and higher qualifications and, and growing. I will say our group of people are much, much younger. Yeah, that makes sense. Don't want to get some old guy like me trying to hump a hose somewhere, you know, or putting on gear and tripping through the forest. And then, you know, I become a casualty. So nah, come out, Dennis. We'll <laughs> teach you. It'll be fun. We'll have a blast. <laughs> hey, it's good to hear that the younger people are taking the, the ball and running with it. You know, that's awesome. That adds to some longevity within the department as well. Yeah. And we were actually talking about doing a teenage program where, you know, maybe 15, 18 or 16, 18, because that's how I got into this. Having them in the station, learning firefighting. And if it interests them, we can support them continuing on certified. Again, I've, I've said this every time I've, I think I've come on. This is how I started at 15 years old. Fire chief in my little town said, hey, you, you have any interest? Come over. And it changed the course of my life yeah. in one conversation. So I want to give that back for sure. Yeah, I, I think that's great. And, and uh, I, I wish more community leaders would do that. It's like, you know, it's leading by example. It's, it's, uh, it seems like some of that philosophy is uh, sometimes lacking in Teller County. So I'm, I'm glad that you've taken up the mantle and, and running with that. I know things have been chaotic, but every town in America what is something that is always the shining beacon and never a tap. This is the first time I've ever experienced it. Yeah. But the fire department in America has always been respected, always works hard, and we always respond. Day or night, you know, Christmas Day, whenever, we'll be there when you need us. 466 people in our community last year in 2022 needed our help. We got to them faster, more qualified people. Yeah. Again, the metric that shows what we're doing is the right thing. There's no selfishness in this, you know? Yeah, in spite of what people say. <laughs> The thing that just kind of annoys me is that, uh, and it goes on with law enforcement agencies as well. I've kind of said this, I posted a couple of messages. Look, I don't walk in any of your shoes or a police officer's shoes. And until I do, I mean, I can criticize all I want, right? I can make comments and all that kind of stuff, but you know, people have a little compassion, put yourself in their position because it's more than just firefighting. There's a lot of different incidences that you have to go to and some of them aren't pleasant at all. And you, you got to take that stuff home with you sometimes. And uh, we as civilians, we don't really understand all that stuff. So it's easy to criticize. So just, you know, hey. Cut people some slack every now and then. Yeah, I, and I would love to comment on that real quick because I, I did see yesterday TCSO posted, you know, some answers to questions that they never had to do, right. but they do that to help. And to see people attacking them, you know, like there's one person responsible for the incident that happened and everybody responded there to do what they could. And it's wrong to put the burden of the person that did that on these deputies or firefighters or anybody, you know, we go to help. I agree. I want people to be cautious of that. You know, like you don't want to say something to one of these officers and then they carry that way. 
wait with them or second guess. You know, it's just not fair. No, I, I agree. And it, it happens way too often these days because people are so quick to criticize us. It's funny because we think the public servants owe us something. They don't owe us anything. They're just doing their jobs. That's all they're doing. The narrative changes with, with some of these folks. I had one lady that's yelled at me about the radios all year. And then I got approval to buy four radios and she stormed out mad. And it's just like, <laughs> I don't I don't know what you want now. You know? I have a novel idea. Why don't you go to the firehouse and volunteer? I think the answer is let professionals do what they're good at. And if you want to be involved, then step up and get involved. There's probably a ton of things to do and learn about firefighting in the firehouse. You don't have to necessarily be a firefighter. Yeah, we got fire corps. Come help us when we evacuate a neighborhood because of a wildfire. We do events. Help support us do that. So what do you have coming up in the next two or three months? April 29th, we're going to do uh, our first big event since I've been hired. It's called a Family Fire Muster. It's going to be all day of events, demonstrations. We're going to do a car fire. We're going to respond out of the station with a, a prop. We're going to be able to watch us do that. Then we'll have a car that we smash up and put a dummy in. We'll cut the car up right in front of everybody. Hoping to have the Flight for Life come out and land for part of that demonstration. Wow. We'll have vendors out there. Um, and then that night, we're still figuring out the menu, but the goal is a... Uh, crawfish and uh, crab boil. Wow, that's something that doesn't happen up here. Yeah, I mean, it, it'll be an amazing day. It, it's a lot of fellowship. April 29th isn't a, a huge day where people got to go places like, you know, 4th of July weekend. Um, we're hoping to have a lot of people out there. I'm going to do a kids competition where they're going to get real medals of our emblem. And it'll just be a fun time. We'll have prizes for the kids. We'll have booths, games, all of it. So that's going to be fun. That's going to be my first big, big event. And then we'll do the fundraising dinner that night with probably a, an auction and stuff like that. So other than that, we're just we're recruiting, we're training, we're getting better every day. Wow, sounds like it. Well, I, I'm going to mark that down on the Bear Cave calendar for sure and make sure that we're we're out there and, and represent. Yeah, I hate to put you on the spot. You want to DJ it for us though, Dennis? You got all the speakers. <laughs> well, <laughs> um, I'm not much of a DJ. I'm barely even uh, somebody who can talk and speak English behind a microphone, but uh, hey, I'll do what I can. That's for sure. All right, Chief. Well, I appreciate you taking the time. I know it was kind of short notice. And uh, as always, you answered the call and uh, we're always glad to have you into the Bear Cave and talk about the good things that are going out there at uh, Floors and Fire Rescue. Right on. Thanks for having me anytime. I love it. All right. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks a bunch. Yep. Bye. That was Chief Eric Holt from Florissant Fire Rescue, and uh, very happy that things are going the right direction out there in that uh, part of the western front of Teller County. When we come back, it's story time with Michelle, followed by our field producer Trevor Phipps with some local happenings, so don't go away. Are you tired of gambling? Or maybe gambling just isn't your thing? Then you need to come visit the historic Butte Theater, located in the heart of Cripple Creek, Colorado. Enjoy our classic melodramas, Shakespeare of the West, musicals, comedies, and our community's favorite Christmas show. The Butte is fun for the whole family, so get your tickets today at thebuttetheater.com and come join in our fun. to the Bear Cave, and right now it's story time with Michelle on the Bear Cave Hotline. 
Hey, Michelle, how are you up there in the uh, frozen hinterlands? Oh, my God, I'm freezing. Every day I'm freezing. (laughs) (laughs) My office is like an icebox. I know, and every week I keep saying it's like, oh, it was up to 41 degrees on Saturday. It's going to be great, and then it's like 11 below on Monday. Yeah, I know. Haven Springs is worse, though, so I guess we could consider ourselves pretty lucky. Yeah, last weekend I had to put my big boy pants on and go down the hill, and yeah. it, 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 it kind of creeped me out. I was just like, oh, man, it's like I, I don't really like cities anymore, but there was a kind of a nasty inversion lady that was down there. Yeah, yeah. Now, thought, that's one thing Oof. about, you know, even though it's cold, at least it's nice up here, <laughs> even with the yeah. cold. <laughs> Absolutely. We have fresh air. Yes. <laughs> well, you know, it's that time of year, too, when things are changing and you're just kind of right in the middle almost of winter because it started getting really cold in November, which is kind of unusual. Yeah, it was. Yeah. When it's five below, it's like, wait a minute, what's going on here? Now, this is more normal right now, actually. This first part of February is usually the most brutal part. And and then we can start looking towards maybe some warmth by May. (laughs) Yeah. Well, the only thing, and we're going to talk about this, I'm sure, that I'm looking forward to, and I hope it stays really nice and cold, is that Ice Festival is coming up here pretty quick. Yes, yes. We're all getting super excited about that. Yeah, I'm pretty stoked. But anyway, before we get to that, what have we got for story time this week? Well, here it is. We are in February, and there's always a couple of really fun things happening in February, but the biggest one is Mardi Gras. Oh, you're right. And even Manitou Springs has a huge Mardi Gras thing going on. So, um, and I have a friend that lives in New Orleans right now, and she's already sending me things. It's like, hey, I need a formal gown for this party. <laughs> well, well, I was so, going to say, you've kind of you've got the uh, New Orleans connection there, right? Oh, for sure. Yeah, for sure. So um, I thought, you know, a lot of people really don't know about Mardi Gras, how it came around to be. So I thought that would be a good one to touch bases on. I think so. I mean, I, I have good memories of uh, Mardi Gras. In fact, Fact Tuesday is where I made the most money gambling in my entire life and I was in Mississippi. And, That's uh, crazy. Yeah, long story. I was actually trying to lose money and I couldn't. It was one of those things. <laughs> then again, maybe it was just the alcohol that was talking to me. I don't know. <laughs> right? <laughs> oh boy. Anyway, so yeah, hey, let's uh, let's talk some Mardi Gras. All right. So Mardi Gras is actually a Christian holiday. <laughs> what? And popular. I know. That, that was the first thing I read. I was like, oh, what happened there? <laughs> wait, wait, wait a minute. So does that mean we're going to have roulette wheels spinning up at uh, Karis Bible College in a couple of weeks? <laughs> Maybe. You never know. I'm in. <laughs> so it's a Christian holiday and a popular cultural phenomenon that dates back thousands of years to pagan spring and fertility rites. That caught me off guard too. Yeah. Pagans and Christian holidays. Yeah. Hmm. Oh. Never heard that before. I got to hear the rest of this one. (laughs) So when Christianity arrived in Rome, religious leaders decided to incorporate these popular local traditions into the new faith because it was easier than abolishing them altogether. As a result, the excess and debauchery of Mardi Gras season became a prelude to Lent. Mardi Gras traditionally celebrate on Fat Tuesday. In many areas, however, Mardi Gras has evolved into a week-long festival. New Orleans is doing that right now. They yes, go week-long shoots me like a month long. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was more like a year long, but uh, hey. <laughs> hey, they don't even need a reason to party, right? <laughs> I agree. 
<laughs> so traditionally in the days leading up to Lent, merry makers would binge on all sorts of rich fatty foods like meat, eggs, milk, lard, and cheese that remained in their homes in anticipation of several weeks of eating only fish and different types of fasting. Ugh. So that kind of makes, I know, the lard kind of caught me off guard. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. The first American Mardi Gras took place on March 3rd, 1699, when French explorers landed near the present-day New Orleans, Louisiana. They held a small celebration and dubbed their landing spot Point du Mardi Gras. So, 1699, that's wow, right? That's a day or two. Yeah. <laughs> so, in the decades that followed, New Orleans and other French settlements began marking the holiday with street parties, mass balls, and lavish dinners. When the Spanish took control of New Orleans, however, they abolished these rowdy rituals, and the bans remained in force until Louisiana became a state in 1812. So, the Spaniards don't want to have fun, apparently. Yeah, another reason to close the borders, because they're going to ruin right? Mardi Gras. <laughs> right? <laughs> So Louisiana is in fact the only state in which Mardi Gras is a legal holiday. However, elaborate carnival festivities draw crowds in other parts of the United States during Mardi Gras season as well, including Alabama and Mississippi, and each region has its own events and traditions. Also known as Carnival or Carnival, it's celebrated in many countries around the world, mainly those with large Roman Catholic populations on the day before the religious season of Lent begins. Brazil, Venice, and New Orleans play host to some of the holiday's most famous public festivities, drawing thousands of tourists and revelers every year. So Mardi is a French word for Tuesday and Gras is French for fat. That's why it's called Mardi Gras and Fat Tuesday. And the traditional colors are purple, which represents justice, green representing faith, and gold representing power. So there's a little Mardi Gras stuff. I never knew. I thought it was just an excuse to go down and, you know, revel in the debauchery that goes on. I had no idea that, uh, you know. Right. Okay, now I got to give something up next next week. Really? I know, and it's what is it? It's like it's until Easter. So Lent starts on Ash Wednesday and goes all the way to Easter, which is my birthday this year. Is Easter? Well, speaking of which, you have another birthday of sorts. This is one year since you have been with us at the Bear Cave. Yeah, yeah. I, I when you said that, it reminded me. I was like, wow, that went fast. That went really fast. Yeah, well, that's a good thing. It's better than just like, oh god, it's not a year yet. <laughs> No, it's been fun. It's been an adventure, something totally different that I've never done before. So thanks for allowing me to to join. Uh, it's been a pleasure. It's always better with you in the bear cave, like I said before. And uh, when you're not here, we're all sad and the bear just cower in the corner. <laughs> well, maybe this year we can make something different happen, right? Yeah, we'll invite them to Mardi Gras. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, That's uh, it's interesting because uh, you see... The uh, giant celebration, especially in Brazil, where they're you know mm-hmm. they're barely clothed most of the time. I guess that's kind oh, of the yeah. same way in, in uh, New Orleans as well. Well, yeah, you know how you get your boots, <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. It is the year of the rabbit, like we discussed before. So <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> take that for what it's worth. But yeah, they're they're huge, huge festivals, and I have never actually been to Mardi Gras in New Orleans. It's always been one of those things I've. I've either been there right before or right after or been in another state celebrating Mardi Gras at the same time. But uh, yeah, one of these days I'd like to go down there and just check it out. I think it'd be cool. I think so too. Unfortunately, the year that I did go down, it was one of the coldest Mardi Gras they've ever had. Oh, wow. And it was during the pandemic. Oh, geez. And it, it was, it was, 
I mean, they still wanted to party, but yeah, it was not Mardi Gras. It was really depressing, actually. <laughs> I mean, you get to get up close to the floats and everything. They did set them up in a park. But no, one day, yeah, I think I need to do the real thing. Was everybody wearing masks, too? You couldn't even get out of your car. You had to go to this park where they had all the floats parked and they had them lit up and, and working and everything. But no, you stayed inside your car. Oh, that sucks. It did. It did. I mean, it's cool to see the beautiful floats. The the work on those are really amazing. But yeah, it was it was depressing. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's talk about some things not so depressing we mentioned before. Yeah. That's the the ice festival is coming. It's almost it here. Is. It is, it is, it is. And it's getting really kind of exciting. Everybody's getting really stoked for it. I did talk to the marketing department and I asked how many carvers right now. They have six carvers. We're all in. Yeah. They're planning on having uh, an ice slide, which they have every year. So kids, you get on a little piece of card. Well, I guess you could as an adult too. (laughs) You get on your little piece of cardboard and slide down this ice slide. Of course, we'll have a big bar set up. There'll be food vendors, retail vendors, and it's all week long. So you don't just have to come up on the weekend. Hopefully, I mean, I hate the cold, but if it stays a little bit colder during that time, they'll last a little bit longer and a little bit cooler. Yeah, I'm just going to have to dust off the old uh, Carhartt bibs and chuck them on my body and just... uh, Exactly, exactly. Because I'm I'm no longer a drinker, but if I was, I'd be hitting that uh, ice block martini bar and then sliding my way down that slide. Heck yeah, well, we get to see that all day long. (laughs) Yeah, well, we'll have the EMT standing by, so it'll be fun. Right. <laughs> Question someone yeah. asked, uh, one of our listeners wrote in too. Now, can people volunteer to help with the ice festival? And if they do, where do they go and who do they contact? So I I did see an email that went around that uh, the marketing department is looking for help. I don't know what all it entails. Like they want somebody to kind of watch the ice slide so you know people don't get stupid um they need some bartenders and things like that so i would just say reach out to the city of cripple creek marketing department and um, ask for jeff and he can direct them as far as what needs to be done and and where they need help yeah that makes sense i would imagine you just go uh do they have an ice festival website that stands alone no uh you can go to visit cripplecreek.com and it does list it on there it doesn't have its own website no okay yeah because we uh we had some questions about that last week which was amazing it was no hate mail for a change and uh yeah that is <laughs> so like i said just reach out to the city of cripple creek uh, marketing department ask for jeff and he can direct you from there all right sounds like a plan so everybody follow the directions and quit calling me yeah right <laughs> but and, you know i want to uh, remind people too don't forget the butte has some things going on too for each of the weekends so get up there and support the theater as well that's right we got that family feud kind of thing happening and that's a that's a benefit, right? Yeah, it is. It is. So that's on the 18th and 19th, and it's at one o'clock and six o'clock. Tickets are ten dollars each, and it is uh, the friends of the Butte who are doing that. So yeah, it's a fundraiser for the Butte. So get up here, and it sounds like fun, actually. I yeah. think it's gonna be a hoot. <laughs> All right. Well, that sounds like a good way to get rid of the winter blues and get up there and have some fun and uh, put your warmies on. Yes. Yes. Dress appropriately. Come on now. Exactly. All right, Michelle, sounds like a good time to me. And uh, if nothing else, I'll uh, talk to you in a couple of weeks. Sounds good. Everybody stay safe and warm, especially warm. All right, Michelle, we'll talk to you very soon. <laughs> okay, take care. All right, bye-bye now. Bye. That was my producing partner, Michelle Roselle, giving us the lowdown on all kinds of fun stuff going on, Mardi Gras, the Ice Festival, all the good things that we're looking forward to coming up here in the next couple of weeks. 
Right now on the Bear Cave Hotline, it's our field producer, Trevor Phipps. Trevor, what's happening, man? How are you doing? Uh, well, I'm chipping the icicles off my nose, but uh, I'm doing okay. Yeah, it's been pretty chilly the last couple of nights. So what's happening in the uh, world of Teller County? Oh, there, there's a few things going on. The crimes is kind of a big thing. The, yeah. The Nietzsche's got caught, finally. That was a story that came out in September. There's those people that had stolen cars and stolen my, motorcycles and keys to people's houses and P.O. boxes and <laughs> all that stuff. But they were finally caught. Well, they were caught in Lincoln County. And which is has Hugo and Lyman to town on the eastern part of the state. You know, those are the same people that we talked about when all this went down. They just kind of disappeared. And uh, I wouldn't have known that they were arrested had I not saw a little blurb on a like a news break thing. I had no idea they were even caught. So I guess if they were arrested in Teller County, it probably would have made the news. But uh, I'm glad they're off the, the block, so to speak. Yeah, last time I checked, uh, the guy, Jerry Spinici, was still sitting in Teller County Jail. His wife had bonded out. Yeah, I wonder where she's going to go and commit her next crime. Who knows? Well, speaking of crime and law and things of that nature, I noticed that the sheriff finally went to court on the lawsuit from the ACLU. And that's been like, what, three years in the making now? Yeah, Pretty much. So, well, to give a little background on the whole thing, it all started in 2018 when there was a person that was arrested in Cripple Creek by the gaming division on a pretty minor gaming violation. And he went into Teller County Jail and he had a low bond. But once he got into Teller County Jail, he realized that ICE had a hold on him because I think he, he had open warrants or he was an illegal immigrant that had committed other crimes in other places. Shocking. So they put a hold on him and immediately, like, he basically lawyered up and got the ACLU, even though he had the amount to pay the bond in his pocket and chose not to and then got a lawyer anyway. So the ACLU filed a lawsuit against the Teller County Sheriff saying that it, he couldn't legally hold people for ice hold. Well, a judge threw that out at the time. I think it was, I forget what judge it was, but a judge threw the lawsuit out. So here we come 2019. So since the sheriff like got into trouble for you know holding people with ice, he decided he's gonna enter in this 287G agreement. So what that did is basically train and allow the officers to put their own ice holds on so they weren't actually doing what the immigration service told them and they weren't abiding by the ice holds. They were able to put their own ice holds on as deputies and hold them. Then, so the state came out to retaliate with that, and they passed a law, and it's called something like protecting the citizens against federal government overreach, something like that. With the mountain jackpot, we called it the anti-Teller bill, because since Teller County was the only county in the state that had a bill like that, the law was kind of designed to try to prevent them from doing that. How about the stopping the people at the border law? When is that going to happen? <laughs> I don't know. So it ended up getting passed, so then the ACLU came back in 2019, after that law was enacted, and filed another lawsuit against the sheriff. They used like six residents to file a lawsuit against the sheriff, saying for one, it was illegal for the sheriff to use taxpayer dollars to enter the agreement with ICE, and then two, that the agreement with ICE was illegal under the new law. That was 2019. And then I think in 2020, Judge Sells threw that lawsuit out. He ruled that since the jail actually operates itself through contracts and doesn't use Teller County or taxpayer dollars to operate, that the taxpayers didn't have any hold to tell the sheriff could do it. Well, the ACLU then appealed, and then it was like 2021, I think, or I don't know. There was a period where it got suspended and kind of drawn out because of COVID in the Court of Appeals. 
overruled the Judge Sell's decision and said, no, they do have the right to sue. So they, they sent the issue back to the district court. And then it, it took another period of time. And then last week was when the actual trial was held. And it lasted for three days from Tuesday to Thursday. And it was in front of Judge Sell's again. And he heard both sides for three days. Kind of the highlights... The ACLU is arguing that the sheriff's agreement with ICE is illegal and because of that law, and it's against the Colorado State Constitution to keep people in jail to prevent them from bombing out when a judge sets a bomb. Here's an issue, and the issue is it's after the fact, after the fact, after the fact kind of thing, right? One thing, too, is like the sheriff kind of thinks that he's grandfathered in because he signed up with that agreement before they passed the law. And then he also said something in court that I got from like Colorado Sun article because there's some news sources that had a reporter in there. And he was saying that that law actually doesn't specifically say that they can't do the 287G agreement that he's doing. And then another thing was that ICE, the Immigration Customs Enforcement Agency, was the one they funded the bill and paid for the deputies to get trained and paid for the partnership. So they can't really say that tax that it's costing taxpayer dollars anything. So those are two arguments, but the decision was not made. And they said by the end of February, he's hoping to have a written opinion on it finally. So in essence, what happens is that the deputies are trained by a federal agency and certified. It doesn't necessarily yeah. make them federal agents. That Then again, I don't, I don't know. You know, I, I, I'm i not a... No, it, just, it basically just gives them access to the ICE, the immigration database, and gives them the authority to put their own holds okay. instead of having to call ICE and have an ICE agent come in and do it. It doesn't make them an agent themselves. It just empowers them to do certain things. From what I understand now, this, the deputies can do that themselves and have access to that database themselves. <laughs> so, I mean, if they can do it anyway, it's it's kind of a frivolous lawsuit, isn't it? I mean, when you really think about it. Basically, they just want them to stop. Like, there really isn't a monetary value on it. They just pretty much want them to end the agreement and stop doing what they're doing. They're looking for, like, an injunction, I guess. Interesting story. We'll see where it goes and uh, how it all kind of pans out. But, uh, God, everybody's got an axe to grind these days. I, what the hell? You know, just... God, can't you just breathe there and be glad that you don't live in L.A.? Yeah. God's sake. Let's leave these uh, pile of gomers behind and uh, talk a little bit about sports. What's going on there? Looks like it's been a pretty successful season for most of the sports. Um, last week, I talked to both the wrestling coaches on the girls' team and the boys' team. I think we talked a little bit last week about the girls' wrestling. They've got two seniors that are one that's already signed for college. Trinity Diamond, the one that's already signed for college, is currently in third place statewide. And then Ariel Johns, he was actually, last summer, she traveled to North Dakota to represent Colorado with a women's wrestling team on a national level. Oh, good for her. And she's like, she's right around in the top five. Awesome. So both of them have a chance to get on the podium for the state this year. And Coach is hopeful that one of the two or two of them are going to place. And then he also says there's about three or four other ones that are doing really good and have a chance to making it to state. He's hopeful and there's a possibility that they could qualify four or five girls to go to state this year. And then on the boys wrestling side, I guess he's kind of, it's kind of a different era of wrestling because the last few years they had Brady Hankin, the state championship, and a couple other guys that were, you know, in the state championship every year. Well, new coach Matt Hood, he's saying, I guess he brought more of an attack style of wrestling to the program versus being more on defense. So it's been an adjustment for the kids, but a lot of them are catching on to it pretty fast. And then he mentioned a few other names 
name. He's got a list of about six that he's hoping will qualify for state this year. There's some individuals that did really well in wrestling, but as a team, they didn't do very well just because they couldn't cover every weight class. So his goal in the next couple years, he said, is to bring back a league championship as a team to the school. And with so many freshmen, he thinks he has a good shot at doing it. All right, Trevor. Well, it sounds like the boys are moving in the right direction. And uh, in the next couple of weeks, we have some uh, announcements to make, too. We're going to hold that for uh, a week or two and just uh, tease our audience a little bit. Anyway, uh, I won't talk to you next week, but the week following, we'll be back in the Bear Cave and uh, have some more stuff to talk about. All right. That sounds good. All right, Trevor. You have an awesome day, and I know you're going on a trip next week, and I am jealous about that, but have a great time. All right. Thank you. You have a good day. Okay, Trevor. Talk to you soon. That was our field producer, Trevor Phipps, coming in with some local happenings and sports. Well, up next, it's News of the Weird and find out who makes it onto the bear pile this week. We'll be right back. Are you having a hard time seeing out of those dirty Colorado windows? Or maybe it's just time to finally clean those sidewalks, garages, and those stains on services around your home and office. Well, now there's a solution and it's Peak Washing LLC. Veteran owned and operated, Peak Washing LLC is your mobile window cleaning and pressure washing solution. Their services range from residential jobs to commercial projects using a safe and environmentally friendly approach. Peak Washing LLC can also clean and sanitize heavy construction equipment. There's virtually no job that Peak Washing can't handle. So call Greg at 719-651-7518 or find them on their Facebook page under Peak Washing LLC. That's Peak Washing LLC, your solution to that dirty job. in the bear cave and right now cubs you know what time it is it is time for news of the weird this week the headline reads how much are chicken wings well all i can tell you is this is not one way to get ready for the super bowl the food service director of an impoverished illinois school district was charged with stealing 1.5 million dollars of food most of which was chicken wings okay that's a lot of chicken wings Vera Liddell, 66, allegedly began stealing from the Harvey School District during the height of COVID-19. She ordered more than 11,000 cases of chicken wings for the district with school funds, but she took all the poultry for herself. According to court records, the food was never brought to the school or provided to the students. Prosecutors allege she started stealing while the students were learning remotely, but the district was still providing meals available for pickup. It's unclear what happened to the tens of thousands of pounds of chicken wings. The alleged scheme was apparently uncovered when the district manager conducted a routine audit in January of 2022 and found food costs worth $300,000 over budget just halfway through the school year. And that the invoices were signed by Liddell for the massive amounts of chicken wings, which, get this, were never served to students because they contained bones. Oh no! Contained bones. All right. And of course, the food service providers all knew Liddell by name due to the massive amount of chicken wings she had purchased. Yeah, they probably loved to see her coming. Well, Liddell is currently being held in Cook County Jail on a $150,000 bond. 
what took them so long to figure all this stuff out? Well, Vera, that caper for sure will get you noticed this week for the bear pile. Each week we nominate a person, place, and or thing that should be tossed in the bear pile and eaten by the bears. This week, the lucky person, place, and or thing to be tossed in the bear pile to be eaten by the bears is... Legislator Wokehall from Fort Collins, Andrew Bosenecker. Yeah, remember that guy? For sponsoring a weapons ban on semi-automatic rifles and handguns in Colorado, which he calls assault weapons. Once again there, Andy, the only assault committed is your assault on our rights and the Second Amendment. And I go back, you are a stupid, stupid man. Good Lord. The nominations this week for the honor of meeting and being eaten by Dozer and all his friends are... Number one, the lovely couple consisting of actor and executive producer Alec Gunslinger Baldwin and fake armor Hannah Gutierrez-Reed for trying to lie their way out of a manslaughter charge. Well, there is one thing we at the Bear Cave are sure of, and that's that we stand behind Alec Baldwin. Too soon? Number two, chicken wing queen Vera Liddell for ripping off your school district of more than 11,000 pounds of chicken wings at a mere cost of, oh, $300,000. I'm guessing there's going to be some sad customers in that uh, DoorDash catering service of yours. Guess you should have just stuck to hot dogs. You know, no bones. And number three, the voters of Cripple Creek for ignoring, not reading, or even taking the time to send your ballots in and having a hand in the process of your own city government. All I can say is thank God you have a strong city staff to make those adult decisions for you. Once again, that's it for us this week. I'd like to thank our sponsors, Abode Real Estate, the Butte Theater, and Peak Washington for sticking around with us each and every week. I also want to thank my guest, Florissant Fire Rescue Chief Eric Holt, for coming into the Bear Cave. Congratulations to you and your department. Looks like things are really moving in the right direction. Big shout-out goes to my producing partner, Michelle Roselle, for bringing us story time and the origins of that uh, gigantic debauchery known as Mardi Gras. Yeah, great story. And of course, big thanks to our field producer, Trevor Phipps, for his hard work. If you have an event coming up or you just want to be a sponsor of the show, you can reach us on our Facebook page, This Week in the Bear Cave, or our Instagram page by the same name. You can also send us your hate mail to thisweekinthebearcave at gmail.com. Yeah, bring it. Why not? We'll read it. You can access the show on Spotify, Anchor by Spotify, Podbean, or wherever you get your podcast. Our not-so-celebrity guest next week is going to be Vera Liddell. We want to know if she plans on keeping that door-to-door chicken wing delivery service going. Anna, I hope she makes bond before the Super Bowl. Oh, and Vera, by the way, we don't mind bones. State Representative Andy Bosenecker was supposed to come into the Bear Cave this week, but he was busy writing a bill that outlaws the Bear Cave. Uh, because we are allegedly armed with pistols and rifles and shotguns and, you know, all those things that make loud noises and scare wee little men. Hey, Andy, bang! Yeah, works every time. Well, Cubs, remember, we'll be back in two weeks. Until then, be well and thanks for listening. Sweet dreams, Sam and Max. This Week in the Bear Cave is produced by Animus Productions, all rights reserved in perpetuity. 